Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. Welcome back, and welcome to episode 40, the Pride Edition. It is June 2020, and as you know, that's Pride Month. So today, my guest and I will be talking about what it's like to celebrate Pride during a pandemic. We will also be talking about some recent news you may have read from the Supreme Court. Steve is a consultant, an activist, a change management expert, and overall, an amazing human being. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion with him as much as I did. Happy listening and happy pride. Sure. Well, I'm Steve Munley. I am a manager with Bill at West Monroe Partners. Um, and I am also a uh, one of the leaders here in our employee resource group called WM Pride. Um, I'm also a change management uh, buff myself. So I have a change management advanced practitioner certification. Uh, so this kind of combines every single one of the things that I'm interested in. <laughs> awesome. It's rare that I get like a, a, a three for three, right? On a, yeah. A, in a guest, which is awesome. Um, checking all the boxes. Checking all the boxes, which is important to do. Um, so let's start off with the amazing news we got yesterday. Um, yes. I woke up to probably 25 text messages. I don't know about you, but walk us through what yesterday was in the headlines uh, for the world. Sure. Well, first of all, happy pride to you and to all of your fans. Um, it was amazing. So I'm also a policy nerd as well. So I guess you can check off a fourth box there. Um, so we woke up to a Supreme Court decision in three cases that completely upended the way that you know LGBT workplace civil rights happens, which is absolutely fascinating. We had uh, three different instances where people were fired for uh, their a piece of their identity, whether it was their um, their gender identity or their sexual orientation, and. The Supreme Court ruled in a six to three ruling, which these days in our polarized climate and our increasingly polarized court is rare. Um, it's very rare to get the, the conservative and the liberal wings of the court to agree on anything. <laughs> and for the more than one conservative justice, we had uh, Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Gorsuch, who is a textualist, to both not only agree, but uh, Justice Gorsuch wrote the opinion stating that people cannot, uh, based on Title VII of the Civil Rights Act from 1964, that people cannot be fired based on, they are protected from workplace discrimination and firing based on their sexual orientation and gender identity on the basis of sex. So meaning that you can't treat people differently than you would treat someone else of a different biological sex or gender identity. Um, so you can't fire someone for dating men if they are male because you would not fire a woman for dating men if they were for a female. So 
absolutely fascinating. Um, and I'm glad that they're, the oral arguments were focused on the text of the Civil Rights Act specifically to try and target Justice Gorsuch and to hear that not only he, but um, but Chief Justice Roberts agreed was absolutely amazing for someone who reads the Supreme Court blog like myself. Yeah, I have a couple of friends, um, one of whom I hope to have on the podcast in the future. She actually plans her vacations around Supreme Court rulings. So she goes to Washington, D.C. to be there when they do, um, you know, they do the announcements. And so, yeah, we're, we, we read a lot of the SCOTUS blog um, as well. But, um, you know, I think it's interesting. You, you touched on something which I think is really, really important given where we're at in the world right now. You talked about how it's, you know, um, it was tied to and people really looked at it through the, the civil rights um, uh you know, documentation and history of the United States and, and obviously where we're at right now, we're going through a, a really uh, eye-opening chapter of the civil rights journey in this country. Um, what has it been like for you these past couple weeks? Um, and then we'll jump into like the past couple months because we are still in a pandemic. Um, but these past couple weeks, these three, three and a half weeks have been really emotional for a lot of people um, of, of marginalized identities. How has it been for you? So I think for me, it's it's been a, a comedy of emotions, I guess, all focused together where uh, I just recently moved here to Minneapolis. So coming to you live from the city where it started uh, this week or this month. And um, and I hadn't really formed my my tribe here, my identity here as traveling consultants. You know, I only really lived here three days out of the week, and most of that was spent just with my fiance. And uh, so I haven't really spent that much time becoming like a Minneapolitan. But being kind of in the midst of all of these different intersectional communities coming together in this fantastic way and yes it was difficult to watch and like I live in a high-rise apartment building downtown facing south so it was really difficult to wake up every day and go to sleep every day literally watching a city burn in an area of the city where that's where a lot of the black-owned businesses are and um, just various different multicultural businesses um, throughout this entire corridor of the city it was difficult and it was painful and strange to watch. I felt oddly removed at the same time as being immersed in it. Um, but the George Floyd Memorial is an absolutely beautiful, um, like people coming and laying flowers. There's, uh, there's wonderful art that's popping up all over the city in memorial, in memory of George, of Brianna, of, um, you know, all of the, the people these days that are, that have unfortunately had, um, had their lives taken from them by the police and or the other trans folk of color that have been murdered for um, unknown reasons because they haven't been investigated and to their fullest extent. Um, it, there's just been an amazing outpouring of love, of support, of passion and emotion that um, it was really wonderful to to see and be a part of. I'm really glad that I'm here uh, in the ability to, to witness and take part in all of that as well. Um, and it stinks that 
that such tragedy has to happen for people's eyes to be open to the injustices in our society. But I think it's really wonderful seeing um, the the sustained involvement from people of all different walks of life. Yeah, absolutely. It feels very similar here in Seattle. I mean, to see the people um, of all walks of life walking together and um, and supporting each other. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, as an LGBTQ leader, it is so important. I've learned so much just in the past few weeks, right? Around, you know, I thought I I thought I knew about our movement. I thought I knew about the the people that were there at Stonewall. I thought I knew a, a lot, but I'm still learning, and it's it's really um, inspiring and, and and eye-opening for me to learn about people of color who were some of the first to say, I don't think so. This is not how this goes. And to give courage and voice to other people and to, to know that, um, you know, your own livelihood is, is literally uh, stitched into the fabric of somebody else's um, standing up for um, what's right. It's been really empowering for me these past couple weeks. I too have gone through a series of emotions um, and I find myself you know, at times um, when we can kind of move through this, because um, we are still a little bit in lockdown here, as you are in, in Minneapolis, it's in those movement, like when I go for the walks, that some of this stuff just comes, like, like my cup runneth over, right? The emotions just spill over. And, and I intentionally don't shut them down, because I, I, I feel like this is a emotional learning, I don't want to forget these feelings. Um, and, and I think the emotions are important. Um, so, so I appreciate you you know, you're naming, um, naming all of that that's happening concurrently, frankly. Um, if you step back and think about we're in a pandemic, um, and, and obviously the topic of this podcast is how people manage change. I've never had a pride like this in my life. You've probably never had a pride like this in your life. Um, how are people managing the change with the pandemic and pride? That is a great question. And I think everyone's managing it a little bit differently. It kind of feels almost as if we're a little back in the closet uh, and forcibly so. Uh, But it's also really wonderful that we're connecting with folks on a national and international level. So I can explain that from our standpoint, uh, Bill and I both being heavily involved in West Monroe Pride at our company here, um, we're doing, we're trying to tailor our programming to a virtual lifestyle where it's not just let's get together and have a meeting where we provide updates and things like that. We're trying to have virtual trivia and, uh, a voguing history and tutorial to get people up and moving. So, uh, which is just an, a fantastic way to educate folks on different aspects of the queer community and showing that pride isn't just a parade where you get to wear your rainbow and throw beads at people and, uh, and, you know, throw on your best glitter and get a sunburn, but it's also a, um, a really amazing celebration of the amount of work that people have put into getting us all of these rights and making the change in our community that uh, that we keep seeing the benefits of, you know, every time that there's a new Supreme Court decision about it, that uh, that decision wouldn't have been possible even a decade ago. I feel as though 
um, there's been such a landmark shift in the way that the public perceives the LGBTQ community. And that, that truly is the work of the groundwork being done by the activists out there, by the people who are demanding that they're, you know, standing up for their own rights, for our rights collectively. I think that there's a large swath of people that really benefit from all of the work that those people are doing just based on, you know, having the the cis white male privilege that we, I think we both enjoy um, and benefit from daily that, you know, without having that piece of your life or your identity threatened in that way every single day, not saying that we don't go through struggles of our, of our own, but where isn't every facet of your life has that level of struggle in it. I feel like there are people who are making that effort every single day. And it's, um, I think this year has been a really wonderful reminder that, um, you know, there's other things and other components of pride that aren't just going to a festival or a concert or a parade um, or a dance party, but that there's so much more behind it and to it. Yeah, I was having discussion the other day um, with with a guest, and one of the things that was really interesting was we talked about um, we talked about how we were both, frankly, a little concerned about um, a number of youth that probably were in college or um, basically had their place, right? Had their place, had their space, and because of the pandemic. Um, had to go home or had to leave that place. And sometimes we have to remember that people have to, as you said, go back in the closet, right? They cannot be their, the, their full selves um, in um, the safety of their own home. Um, and that's something that's really been on my mind. I mean, I think, I think back to my first pride in Washington, DC, and this was when I was in the military. And, you know, I remember being so nervous. I was probably hiding behind a lamppost for all I know, hoping nobody saw me. And then somebody would remind me, look, if somebody sees you here, you're probably okay. Cause they're probably at least in support of, of this. But, but I also remember how momentous that was to, to be out amongst the people, to see the, the true celebration of life and love. And uh, it leaves me thinking about all the youth that probably were really looking forward to things like the parades, um, to gathering with their friends, to laughing, to, you know, to, to going out and watching an amazing, you know, um, drag show or, or something of, of, you know, um, celebration of life. How, how do you think people are going to manage that without, without that to look forward to this year? I mean, are people finding different ways to, to sort of come to life without some of the, the methods we are very familiar with and celebrating? I think it's tough. And I think that there are, I think that this pandemic is really forcing us to be creative, which is, it's nice. I feel like on, on that hand, that pride has become very corporate. It has, you know, you have to pay these huge entrance fees to get into these parades because the parades are long and they require planning and like staffing and security and all of that in order to happen and happen safely and shutting down roads and getting permits. So I feel like the larger that pride got, the more corporate it got and the larger barrier to entry that there was. And so um, I think this year, what it is challenging folks to do is expressing themselves in different ways, 
Um, you know, I've seen a lot of amazing art, a lot of amazing um, like clothing and, and people have, you know, incorporated it into their weekly protests. Um, and that in and of itself is wonderful. I do also share your concern though, for, um, for folks that are either in an unsafe living situation or where, you know, going out for pride might've been a nice, like day or two of, um, of being able to kind of like throw, like not throw away, but like forget the, the ills of your life and really just kind of like let go and celebrate and have fun. So I do worry for those folks. I worry for, um, I feel like the, the folks in transition periods of their lives right now, graduating high school, college, you know, moving into your first jobs remotely and behind your computer screen in your own house, I think can be really difficult. So, um, I do also share, you know, your concern for, for the people that, that truly needed that, that space to go to. Um, but I do, I think that there's going to be, I look forward to the greater appreciation for the spirit of pride. I think in the past couple of years, we took it for granted and it's really nice that, uh, future prides, I think will have a little bit, at least this is my, you know, reading the tea leaves, but, uh, I think that they'll have a really great spirit behind it. Uh, just because I think we, we now understand taking things for granted is, uh, has been a luxury for us recently. And we won't always have that luxury. Absolutely. I mean, I think about, uh, gosh, the power of like music, right? I mean, you've curated an amazing playlist for our own firm. Um, uh, you've contributed to it too. Uh, so let's I've not... contributed a few things, <laughs> but, um, but like even, yeah, think about the, the power of music to me, it feels so different now because as you described, it's, I can't go out to a bar and dance in the middle of that bar with my friends listening to, you know, said favorite songs uh, at the moment. I look forward to when we can get back to that. But in the meantime, um, yeah, you know, I'm curating and kind of in my own spirit experiencing that. And I found that in some ways because of the quiet and because of the stillness and because of, you know, us having to be indoors, uh, it's almost like listening to the track the first time, right? You hear things in that track that you typically don't hear. You're like, wow, that's, and so for me, it's stirring up some different emotions. And I'm curious if, if it's the same for you, if it's similar for you, um, what's it also like to, to do things like curate a big playlist for a firm so that you can educate people through music so that you can contribute. We also have, um, you know, a movie list and there's people that are joining to watch films together uh, during the, during the month of pride and beyond, uh, how did, how does that, does, how does that feel for you kind of making those contributions? So I'm going to get a little change management nerdy on us. So like the first step of any good change is establishing a sense of urgency. And we have all had that established within us so much this year. I think, um, it's been, this has been the highest anxiety period, I think. And I'm so privileged and lucky that my life has been easy enough up till now that this has probably been the highest sustained period of anxiety for my entire life. And the way that I have dealt with that first and foremost is the media I consume. So part of me is a bit fatalist and has to listen to podcasts about murder. But the other part of me is 
uh, I think I, I get very emotionally involved in my music. Uh, I've, I sang at a, uh, piano bar in DC. I was in the gay men's chorus of Washington, DC. Um, and I had done, you know, music throughout my life in various different ways, playing instruments, singing choirs and groups and jazz voice lessons and things like that. Um, for those of you who can't see because I'm on a podcast, I do have a music tattoo on my arm. Um, but so I, I definitely, there are days where I feel like a requirement to listen to certain songs that I know are going to be, that I've, I've learned to listen I've learned to listen to what my brain tells me I need to hear. <laughs> um, so every once in a while I'll put on a song and it's very, I can feel that emotionally a little bit more. Um, in terms of sharing that with other people, I've always been one, um, I've always been one to, you know, I used to make my friends mix CDs in high school. Um, and I loved being able to be, you know, help share music with people who, um, who weren't as deeply involved in that or like helping them to discover new artists has always been great for me. And so as soon as this pandemic happened and we were trying to figure out how can people connect and how can, you know, we don't just add another zoom meeting where people are face to face and, you know, either drinking coffee during the mornings or, you know, having a cocktail in the afternoon together. How do we, how do we do that a little bit differently? And the idea of a shared playlist, I think it just popped into my head one day that there's so much music that is so important to, LG, to the LGBTQ community. And like Stonewall, the reason why that was such an important bar was because that's where people could dance together uh, in the 60s. So, you know, we've always had our divas we've all, and our, our music acts that, you know, collectively somehow as an LGBTQ community, we have all been obsessed with even before social media tells us what to be obsessed with. Um, so it was, it was really wonderful trying to think, thinking through creating this playlist and uh, you know, what songs were important to me as I was starting to discover myself and come out and really come to terms with my own sexuality and identity. Um, and then what songs are important to the movement that even if it wasn't important to me at the time that I understand the history of it um, and what songs are important now. So since queer artists like Kim Petras can have a voice um, that may not have been, you know, welcome in previous times, how can we uplift all of those uh, those creators and those artists that are, um, how do we help them to break through into the mainstream culture? So that in film club, that makes total sense. How, what else are you doing right now? Everybody is streaming movies and TV shows and all other types of content. So why not at least give people a, a menu of options that they can stream from to uh, to at least not have to watch the same sitcom series for a fifth time. Maybe you'll watch something different and learn a little bit about a different culture. Yeah, I mean, the thing I really appreciate about the way that you kind of in, in, introduced that concept is for me, the music part has always been very somatic. So like when I think about like somatic healing in your body, um, 
that's where the, that's what the music has always stirred in me. And so, you know, I even think about my, my coming along story. And it's interesting. I was talking to a young person, I think a couple of weeks ago, and it's, it's a sort of a phrase that my, my husband has said for years um, to, to people when they ask, you know, um, what's it like coming out and how many times you have to do it and when are you done? And, you know, my husband always said, look, it's not so much coming out as coming along. Um, every time you meet a new person, you, you essentially have to come out to them. And so uh, it's never done. And in some ways, I think that's a beautiful reminder of, of living, right? You're, I'm not done living. I'm not done, like, you know, facing the challenges and overcoming them. And so I think for me, even the, the coming along journey was always tied to music. It's so interesting when I think about those chapters in my life. Um, even when, when I lived in Washington, D.C., and I was probably one of those audience members cheering you on when you were in the Gay Men's Chorus, <laughs> um, because I also had many, many friends in the, in the chorus. Um, you know, I think about the, the night that I went out and celebrated the, the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and we were, um, we were in a club in D.C., and, you know, the, the entire wall um, was a countdown clock, and I remember, like, the exact song that was playing and and in that moment I thought to myself like in some way I have to take an opportunity to thank the artists that were part of this journey for me and some of it as you said right some of it is there was a lot of paramore I was listening to back in the day because there was a lot of emo <laughs> angst right I was like this trapped um I was a little bit of a trapped Haley Williams in a in a army officer <laughs> male body but um but there was a lot of, you know, thanking artists in different ways. And would they see it? Maybe not. Would, might they stumble upon it? Perhaps, you know, in the social media, this kind of early, early social media era. But I put it out there because it was important to me to say thank you. Um, and to this day, those people are still part of my journey, I think back to. And, th and that's what I love about, um, you know, media, just reading the news today. Um, the CEO of Netflix and his wife are giving $120 million historically. Um, uh, black colleges and universities, right? Like that's a big investment to basically say, look, we need, as you said, new voices, new directors, new producers, new writers, um, because things aren't going to change otherwise. Um, mm -hmm. And it's the same thing as you talked about, you know, uh, as you think about like Frank Ocean or Kim Petras, like these are, these are voices that uh, may otherwise not find um, all of those that need to hear them. And so I do, I do think it's, it's just such an interesting time to be inside, to be consuming media um, and also be much more intentional about it, uh, which, which gives me a lot of hope. So thank you for putting those together. And, um, and I guess one kind of last question I'd love to hear from you, because I think you, you hit on it a little bit. Um, it's a question I always ask people um, when I talk to them in this uh in the, on this podcast is how do you stay healthy and change? Oh, really interesting. I think there's so much of change that is mental that learning to be mentally mindful is and understand and listen to what your body and your mind are trying to tell you. Cause as much as your mind tells you what to tell other people, it's also telling you things about yourself. So if you're sitting down one day and you're like, I have this amazing craving for this food and it would make me really happy, understanding that being able to take a moment and enjoy that food 
even if it's not the healthiest type of food, that that's something that you need and your body needs and your mind is telling you that you need. Um, one of the ways that I've recently uh, started trying to kind of manage that anxiousness, that anxiety, um, I don't know if I want to use such a clinical term for it, but I guess my own anxiousness, um, I've started taking a few minutes each morning and using an app to do some like guided meditation. Every time that I've tried to do any sort of mindfulness just on my own, I find that like my mind wanders and I can't shut off my thoughts. And, uh, but every time that I've done something guided in the past, I've found it amazingly relaxing. And when I lived in Washington, DC, we had, uh, this neighborhood yoga shop that, uh, we would visit maybe as much as once every two weeks. It was not often enough at all, but um, just having someone who could guide you through something so that your, I don't know about you, but so that my mind didn't have to think about it. <laughs> I didn't have to make my own plans. Someone could just tell me how to, to move through from one pose to the next, to the next. And like reminding you to breathe, I think is really important. Um, and then the big thing for me, so Minneapolis is beautiful. So we have tons of lakes and amazing scenery. So I've been trying to explore it on my bike. Um, so that's been really good, uh, getting in walks around the lakes here. Um, each of the lakes is, you know, anywhere from one to like five or six miles around it. So it's great to be able to go and, you know, take a lap and not think about things. <laughs> uh, so a little bit of exercise, a little bit of like making sure that I allow myself to treat myself in terms of food and things that I enjoy in that regard. Um, and then I think to tie it back, music has been huge. So like, I love my podcast, things like that, but I've rediscovered a lot of the music that has soothed me through all of this, uh, particularly a lot of instrumental piano, um, shout out to, if we want to do this whole artist shout out thing, Lindsay Sterling, uh, has a bunch of violin music that she's posted. So some of it being really calm, soothing, amazing, beautiful. Uh, I was just listening to like an hour long playlist of her yesterday that uh, really brought me to a nice place. Yeah, I, I, I echo all of those things. It's so interesting you talk about the guided uh, meditation because, um, you know, I, I sometimes joke about that too. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, a bald British man in my ear, usually every morning. <laughs> and his name is Andy Pettigone. Um, I've never met him. Obviously he's the founder of Headspace. Um, but I, I feel like I know him because there's this guided uh, sage that's literally in my ears uh, most mornings uh, to, to guide me through that. Um, so I, I absolutely can echo that, you know, the challenge that, uh, that we face when our minds wander. And I do think what's interesting, I never really, I hadn't really thought of this until, um, until you were talking and it kind of came to me is the sense of, I think as LGBTQ youth, sometimes growing up, we have to constantly be playing out this what if, right? Like we're constantly saying, okay, well, if I don't say the right thing, are they good? So we're, we, we almost like are really well practiced at our mind wandering and sort of planning for plan A, plan B, plan C, and, and, and D mm -hmm. if something goes wrong. And I think it's really hard for us to slow that down because it, it was our survival mechanism. I mean, for me, there's no question it was my survival mechanism. Um, 
And so now it is, it is hard because that's a very practiced thing, right? I, I, I can let my mind go and work out every possible scenario and every obstacle. But to your point, that takes me away from being present and it takes me away from savoring. I love the way you described the importance of savoring, right? Savoring food and savoring moments. Um, and then of course, music. Yeah, I would not be standing here without the music that I had through my teenage years. Um, you know, some of the stuff, like I, I think back to like, you know, my high school years when I lived overseas and, you know, I have a, I have a unique uh, respect for people like Alanis Morissette. Now, a lot of people won't, but when you're a 14 year old kid and you're living in post-communist Russia, <laughs> you know, jagged little pill goes a long way, especially when you're trying to figure out who you are. So, so first off, have you ever listened to pre-jagged little pill Alanis? There are some... Uh, there are some, some fantastic yes. <laughs> yes oh my goodness well i have to turn the uh i have to turn the question uh, turn a question over to you oh um, bring it on this is fun and i know it's super on the spot but uh what are some of the either artists or songs that really and truly i think we both have discussed like making you feel uh and I can think of like three or four songs that, you know, my little gay 12 year old heart just like yeah. could not handle yeah. uh, <laughs> due to emotions. Uh, but what are some of yours? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think because uh, as we're talking about journeys, it's so interesting. My journey was a little bit later in, you know, in life. And it's always one of those questions people ask you, you know, when did you know you were gay? And, and I think, um, it's funny, if I go back and I sort of unpack certain things, I think I could probably say, oh, it might have been then, but it might have been then. But at the time, as, as I think most young men sometimes wonder, is it hero worship? Is it I have a crush on him? I'm not sure. So, so for me, it was a little bit later. Um, but I think, of, I think of some artists like Levi Christ, who actually had an interesting start. A lot of people may not know about him. Um, but he grew up in a very like Southern Baptist. I think his father was a preacher and um, he has an incredible voice. He's an incredible piano player. Um, he was on Broadway. He, he won a Tony for a million dollar quartet. Um, and I stumbled upon his music way back in the day when it was, you would just surf like, um, you know, Apple, uh, Apple music or, I, you know, iTunes back in the day, the iTunes store. And I came across this song um, that he sang called um, Hardly the Hero. And it was really about this aspect of being a man and not really asking, not, not asking to be put to the measure of, uh, of a hero, you know, and, um, and when people do find out who you, who you truly are, you know, the letdown is going to be too drastic. And so it was sort of this serenade to himself of like, I'm hardly the, you know, I'm hardly the hero. And I remember how haunting that was for me at the time and thinking this man has totally read my mind. Um, and that began a really interesting journey for me in his music. Another person that people may not know as much about, there's this great uh, band in the 90s called Savage Garden. Um, yes. And um, and the, the lead singer, a lot of people uh, may not know, um, Darren Hayes, uh, he ended up being a solo artist. And so a lot of his work um, later on in life, because he was also... Uh, closeted for a long time in his career a lot of his work later on in life was really about coming to terms with who he is and and frankly sharing that journey in a musical saga 
And um, there's a great song. Again, the word hero is in there too. And, and the, the, you know, the line is, Lady, ladies and gentlemen, listen up, please. I don't want to be your hero. And um, that song for me, like encapsulated almost what I envisioned would be the speech that we make to our family. You know, mm-hmm. I, I almost was like, as I would listen to it, I'd say, okay, well, I'm not really going to say anything. I'm just going to bring them all together. And I'm going to say, push play and let them <laughs> listen to it. And it's all going to be said for me. Now that's not how it worked out, but but those are a few, you know, a few of the ones that come to mind. Um, and I think, you know, there's also something really unique about a really powerful woman's voice that just cuts me to the core and I can feel it in my fascia, you know, um, and it just reverbs. Uh, and so for me, there's a number of them. I think it's, it would be, a, a, honestly, it'd be a great project to go back and look at um, which ones meant um, what they meant at the time. But I also think it's evolving. So it's it's one of those questions that like, you know, ask me in another couple of years and the, the list will be slightly different because I'm still figuring out how I move through, you know, this world. So, but I love, I love the question. It makes me want to, you know, take a day off and just listen to music. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think that we all need to be doing that. Like I, I think back and it's really interesting. I can very distinctly, I mean, I don't know about you. I know that there are certain songs that I hear and I can be taken back to like a very distinct moment in my life. Um, And there was in 2011, Kelly Rowland and David Guetta when love takes over. I remember being in a bar and dancing to that and having the actual realization that like, Oh man, if I actually just like let myself take over, it'll just be really wonderful. And so that was kind of the start of me unpacking, um, you know, my own personal queerness. Um, but yeah. And these are all like wonderful soundtracks, right? It's yeah. the, that's the part of, you know, I think there's a TV show on, I don't know if I've ever watched it, but it's called like something Lizzie's amazing playlist or something. I don't Zoe's know. extraordinary playlist. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't know the concept, but what's in my head and you could correct me if I'm wrong. If it is what I think it is, it's basically uh, a woman going through life as if the music that's playing in her head is actually playing out loud. And she kind of goes through, I don't know if that's true, but I, if that is the case, I would love that. Cause that's what I want. I want like these magical yeah. invisible speakers to just turn on, you know, with the right song when I, when I'm going down the steps of the subway in New York city, because that's, what's in my head, you know, but uh, I, I'm sure other people would not appreciate that, but that's sometimes how <laughs> I move through the world. I, like there's this constant soundtrack in my head. It's funny, that's similar to the show. Really, she hears uh, the struggles that other people are going through, through songs. Um, And then her own personal struggles also manifest themselves in songs as well. So it's a fantastic show. Uh, Alex Newell is one of my ultimate divas in life. Uh, Also, we grew up in the same hometown and went to the same high school, just saying. Uh, Alex, if you're out there and listening to a change management podcast, then please contact me. We'll be friends. Um, yes. Um, Alex was a few years younger than me, so we never overlapped, but, uh, you know, I, I love that. And it's so fascinating that to think of, and I think that's kind of the connection point of music is that, you know, there's, uh, there's the songs that really represented what you wanted to say internally but you couldn't really find the right words or that made you feel a feeling or and this is kind of the basis of the playlist was that there were songs like Christina Aguilera's Soar like like you said being like hero worshiping a diva 
um, someone telling you that you are a wonderful person and that you have the ability to take flight and soar was just like too much for my little gay heart to handle. And, but it connected me to uh, a few of my really good friends that we can look back and remember that song in that place and being there together and just driving around at night and, you know, listening to that and screaming at the top of our lungs about it. And uh, it was this, this amazing catharsis of emotion. Uh, so I fully think that being able to share that with other people is something that has, and being able to share music and art and creativity and passion in those mediums, media, I guess, uh, with other people is something that seems to be getting us all through this, whether it's this pride that where we're cooped up by ourselves, whether it's this uh, incredibly pivotal moment in history where, or hopefully pivotal moment in history, I hope to look back on this year in 20 or 30 years and realize that, yes, this is the place where um, the public realized that we have to stand up for people who don't necessarily look or sound or act or identify similarly to us. Um, and that that requires a lot of effort from us. Um, but it's, whether it's getting us through this and these emotions or even getting us through this crazy pandemic that, you know, no one was expecting would affect us this way. Um, you know, I think it's so important and an amazing way to connect with people. So, yeah. Um, well, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the, the question and, and the ask. Um, it does make me smile and think back um, to the power of some of the stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of the collective healing, right. And, and I think all of us, um, are doing in our own ways. Um, and I, and I think it's important that people give themselves credit for that, right? We're, we're doing collective healing. It doesn't necessarily feel that all the time, but it is. So I appreciate you joining Steve. This was a great conversation. I personally can't wait until, uh, the, the, the new next allows us to be dancing somewhere under some ceiling, belting out some song together. <laughs> um, whenever that is, I definitely look forward to it. I appreciate you you joining. I know. I can't wait. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you inviting me to Coffee and Change. The and Pride Edition. <laughs> the Pride Edition. <laughs> and uh, as, as always, I love getting to catch up with you. So thank you for your time and you for inviting me. Thanks. 